Hello and welcome to the Open Labour podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-host Tom Hinchcliffe. Good morning, Tom. Long time no speak. How are you doing? Yes, yes, it's a long time, isn't it? I mean, it's been a very busy party conference, which we're going to talk about in a sec. But yeah, it's um, it's been, I think it's been a month again, so we really need to keep doing these quite quickly. Oh, I mean, there's so so much has happened. I mean, we could we could do a podcast for about three or four hours, actually. But uh, as you said people. before, we... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we logged on, you said nobody wants to speak to us for an hour, never mind three or four hours. So um, we'll keep it nice and short and, and stick to mainly issues around the um, the Labour Party conference, which is the most pertinent, I suppose, of events um, at the moment. And I'm also joined today as well by Abby Baranski, Open Labour member. Abby, you, you, you're on the um, the National Executive Committee, aren't you, of, the, of Open Labour? Yeah, right? I'm, I'm the National Secretary. Ah, brilliant. So keeping busy then doing that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Never is all moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. OK, so as we said, we're going to keep it brief and nice and condensed. So we'll jump straight to it. Tom, what are we are going to talk about first? Kia's speech. Um, Kia's first speech in front of a full conference before he came, like, um, after he's become leader. And I think, I think he had a bit of a spring in his step. I mean, he did for the whole conference. I saw him a couple of times. He went to the Yorkshire reception. Obviously, I was there. Um, something I can't miss. And um, yeah, he he seemed to be quite confident. Um, I don't know if it was just because there were, you know, members there for the first time. And last year's conference was a bit of a dud because it was online and everything was focused around the pandemic. But I think he had a chance to, you know, set out his vision for the first time. I think... Um, the, the, the change in the rules, which we'll come on to later on, I think that helped. And I think he actually had the chance to put, set out, you know, uh, somewhat a vision. It, there were policy announcements for the first time on uh, mental health um, and, and education mainly, but he put forward I would pay for them, which I think is important. But yeah, I, th- I, think, I think overall it was really positive. Um, we'll come on to the hecklers in a bit, but I'd just say first that I think they strengthened his point um, when he's coming through and talking about um, Labour being ready for government and preparing us for government, I think, and he said they were shouting slogans and he's trying to change lives. I think that was the best way he could have handled it, to be honest. And I think in the media and in the kind of people that rejected Labour at the last election, that will come, come across quite well. Uh, well, I, I agree. You just, <laughs> I can't help but thinking, though, if the same sort of heckling was going on when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, how the media would have spun that. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it, it did come across well. You know, I've spoken on this on this podcast many a time about my views on, on Keir Starmer. He, he's not necessarily got the same, same politics of me uh, as me, but at the end of the day, working in social care, seeing how people are suffering on the front line, being a counsellor and the amount of people that contact me that literally don't have anywhere to live, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, the point that I'm getting getting at is we we, we have to have a Labour government. The, you know, the longer this goes on, the worse it's going to get. We've got the climate emergency as well um, that the Tories aren't taking seriously and just pay lip service to. We, we must win power. It, it, it is the most important thing. And and I was willing Keir on. It was a make or break moment for him, I think. I don't know what you think, Abby. Um, yeah, I'd agree with quite a bit of that, especially the bit on the hecklers make, making him stronger. Like, I think he made a comment, oh, it's normally the Tories heckling me at this time on a Wednesday, so, like, mm. carry on. <laughs> yeah. But I thought he did quite yeah. well with it, and it almost, like, empowered him. Um, it was good, like you said, to hear about mental health. That was quite heartening as a mental health campaigner to... You know, because a lot of times the discourse around 
mental health services is just oh speak out you know it's important to speak out which yeah it is but there is a fundamental problem with the services and it was nice to hear that acknowledged albeit not as detailed as I was like but yeah acknowledged I did as a woman you know in the that was the day after um the Wayne Cousins trial you know the murder of Sarah Everard Mm. it was a little bit you know not great to hear all this stuff about putting police on the streets because it's quite a scary time for us at the moment as women like we can't trust the police but I know that that is something that will cut through with a lot of people in the public so I don't know it did feel to me a lot like his speech and it was a good speech definitely it was very forward-facing it was aimed at the public it wasn't aimed at the uh, Labour members and I think there are bits of it that have cut through to the media which is good which is important and I think it's what he was aiming to do I think he came across a lot of people say he does come across quite robotic I would be one of those critics but I definitely think this was a good moment for him in shedding that robotic image because especially when he was talking about his mum and he was talking about the people whose daughter was sadly killed by domestic violence he came across really emotional and really you know genuine and I think that's important I think that's one of the first times so I thought that was good mm, yeah I think I think he yeah. definitely had a point to prove um especially about his background um I know he touched on that on the uh, the life stories thing on Piers Morgan but yeah yeah um, but that didn't cut through in the same way this what this yeah. was his big moment I mean just to go back to my point though it, what I was saying is I was willing him on because I I, I, I do I do think it was a make or break moment for him. So to go back to that point, do you think do you think it was? If if Kia had had flopped on this speech, were his days numbered? And and how would that impact as well on on the prospects of delivering a, a Labour government at the next election? I, I think yeah, it, it probably was make or break. I know that the media love to build things as make or break all the time, but I think this genuinely was because you know the polls weren't going that well. Um, Johnson was cruising, even though the mishandling of the pandemic and everything else and fuel shortages, we really needed to be making some progress. And I think the um, it, it, it probably was a make corporate moment in the end. Um, thankfully, Keir's speech is pulled better than, than Johnson's, which is why it was important that he did speak to the country, as Abby touched on, rather than speaking to members. Um, but mm-hmm. I definitely take your point about the, um, the involvement of the police. I imagine the speech was already so ready in advance this is making excuses but I imagine that the, the speech was already yeah. so prepared no yeah I agree with you but um but yeah I understand what you mean and especially just on the mental health point I think I think a, a few years ago before the probably even two or three years ago before the pandemic people didn't still didn't take mental health seriously and I think because of the pandemic because so many people are seeking treatment because of lockdowns and because of uh, losing people to COVID and, and the whole raft of issues that have come with the pandemic. I think more people, because they need the treatment or know people that need treatment themselves, are taking it far more seriously. And to have mm-hmm. a bit of detail, albeit not complete detail, as Abby said, but a bit of detail on, you know, the plans, it'd be like a, a radical expansion of the mental health workforce. So you, you guarantee that someone will be seen for at least an initial assessment within a month that sometimes that can take up to a year even for just the assessment and unless you go private which obviously no one can afford so yeah I think I think that might resonate a bit better than it would have done a few years ago and that's why it got taken out I think people like uh, Rosina Allen Khan and things like that have helped spur that along. Well I agree yeah. and, and you know what it's a good policy because my experience of the electorate is that 
when it comes to cuts to, to services, you know, what the electorate tend to talk about is, is, is perhaps police because, you know, that affects lives, but, you know, maybe, maybe police, but certainly it, potholes and, and, and highways department, because actually that they're the only sort of services that a lot of people come into contact with. So, you know, the, the fact that there's been huge cuts to adult social services, children's social services, yeah. um, schools, the NHS, most people aren't coming into contact with those services on a, on a day-to-day basis. But actually mental health, um, it, it, it is something, as you say, the prevalence of, of um, mental health disorders has gone up, you know, extra, extraordinarily. That doesn't make sense. Extraordinarily. What am I trying to say there? <laughs> there is a word. What, what I am think I trying you mean to say? exponentially. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You can tell it's early in the morning. <laughs> Probably exponentially. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the the point is the prevalence is, is in the increase, and and and, and people are, are seeking treatment, and um, and there just aren't any services there. I mean, people are absolutely flabbergasted, and I get contacted all the time by people when they say, well, you know, there's a waiting list of a year to, you know, before they can. That's even if they get admitted to a mental health service. Oh, um, yeah, you know, I and other frontline services, other podcast, maybe series rather than just an episode talking about the failures of the mental health service but yeah the biggest the biggest problem is that you can't even get on the list to access a service you can't even access a service because I think most people especially during the pandemic I mean Tom touched on this and was quite right like people have had an overwhelming amount of pressure in the last year and I think a lot of people just want someone to talk to but you can't get that because you have to go through five different assessments, meds assessments first, you're getting put on lists. And it's just, you know, it adds to the pressure because now you're waiting for this service you should have, you should be able to access easily. I mean, I maybe I'm a bit radical on this. I personally push for a, a two-week commitment. And I know Keir said a month, but one month is better than I think it was nine months I waited last time. So right. I'll I'll definitely take that as a starting point. Yeah, I mean, all these things are there to be. I don't, I don't think it's radical. I don't think it's radical to say two weeks at all. Well, I mean, a lot of people, especially, know what it's like. Me, everybody knows what it's like to have these problems um, every now and again, and and obviously some are more severe than others. But if you if you actually get to the point of taking the step to seek treatment for mental health, which is difficult enough, and then you're told mm. that it's going to be nine months or even a month, you know, I mean, a month's a good starting point, as you say. But obviously, we should be aiming you know, for a week, two weeks, because even for an initial assessment, because these things can be urgent. You know, anything can happen in that four-week gap. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. So next, I'd like to talk about the rule changes. So let's go with the easy one first. The um, EHRC, Implementation of the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. Uh, recommendations on... Answer- I mean, it passed by 73%, didn't it? Yeah, passed by 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, 73%, something like that. Yeah, it was good. Although but, Momentum lobbied to, to vote it down, didn't they? I, I read. Well, I wasn't there. I wasn't at the conference. Well, you know, but, I, I saw Louise Elman at the Labour Friends of Israel reception the day after, and it was great just to see her, to be honest, um, after after these recommendations were passed, just, just speaking at a Labour event again. It felt like we'd even though there's still work to do, as, as Jewish comrades have said before, and I leave it to them to judge whether there's still work to do or not. But, mm. you know, it, it, we've overcome a huge obstacle. And I think it's one of the darkest moments in our recent history. And I think with, with mm. Louise, coming, Louise coming back doesn't signal the end of it, obviously. But it does si- signal, you know, a, a formalisation of kind of 
we're near the end or we're past the worst of it. And I think um, passing these recommendations so convincingly, it was 73 to 26%. Um, I think it added to the, there was, I don't know about you, Abby, but there was a less toxic atmosphere around conference. Um, I don't know if you think, uh, because... This was my first conference. Oh, really? um, <laughs> so I can't really compare it to anything. But yeah, it definitely, I think it's so important that we pass those recommendations. And I'm proud that we did. And again, so overwhelmingly. And I think Louise Elman, not only being welcome back and not only being given a shout out during Keir's speech, but she got a standing ovation from what I remember. And that is so important to healing our relationship with the Jewish community. I think it shows that, you know, the steps that are being taken are working. So many Labour members want to heal relations with the Jewish community, want to do better. And I think, you know, I'm glad there's that goodwill and I'm glad that we're wanting to work to do that. It's an important step. It feels like we've turned a corner as a party. Like you said, there's a way to go, but we've turned a corner. We're on our way there. Mm. What what exactly were they? It was something about uh, independent process, wasn't it? And but also there's some stricter rules around what what qualifies, isn't it, as, as discrimination yeah, yeah. or anti-Semitism or yeah, it was changes um, for a new complaint system, a new complaints process to be set up. So it'll apply to um, all complaints about protected characteristics. So there's a lot more protection for Jewish members um, and there's a lot more power for the NEC to suspend members who take part in prescribed actions um, and, and anti-Semitic um, tropes and things like that. And it's, it's just more, it's, it, it's made things easier to formally recognise, even though we recognise a lot of the anti-Semitism ourselves before, it, it gives the NEC power to kind of act on that um i think uh, yeah jewish labor movement wrote to momentum um earlier this week i think it was or at the end of last week asking why they instructed their delegates or their supporting delegates to vote against these recommendations and mike katz who's been on this podcast with me before he signed the letter and you know aside from our moral duties to kind of bookend this period if we're ever going to be a serious party of government again we can't be racists it's as simple as that and you know um if we're ever going to bookend this period with a lot more to do, momentum aside from the moral side of things, we're putting the party into legal disrepute. You know, we've seen the financial impact mm. of the anti-Semitism cases now with staff cuts at um, Labour HQ in Southside and things like that. You know, th- these things cost millions and millions of pounds in lawsuits, and so they should because we were on the wrong side of them. Um, but voting but why, against. But why? Why did they vote? Why did they vote it down? I mean, it just it blows my mind. I mean, what's the point in well, being Labour if you're if you're not anti-racist? <laughs> I think it why was more that there were like specific. From my understanding, and I haven't looked into this very thoroughly, I think it was there were specific parts of it that they disagreed with, so they wanted to vote the whole thing down. Um, but did they not table an is, amendment then? Yeah, I think there was not an amendment. I don't know. There was definitely something tabled because I was a delegate um, that was about giving conference power to reinstate the whip to people, which I think was kind of the solution to that. But I don't know. But my view is always with equality stuff. If there's a few bits you don't like, like vote the whole thing through and work on it later. It's important that we get the ball rolling and hash out the iron out any kinks in it later. Yeah, exactly. Because the whip. I mean, we all know who they're talking about, talking about Jeremy Corbyn and the, the whip. Yeah. Giving this thing back to one guy does not, whoever he is, is not the same as dealing with 
racism and anti-Semitism for individual members whose lives have been ruined because of this. Yeah, and I think it was Deba Saeed, who is wonderful on women's mm. rights, made yeah. the excellent point at the time when this was called for that, yeah, okay, it's being done to reinstate Jeremy Corbyn. Regardless of what you think on that, it sets a really terrifying precedent where, mm. like, say, victims of sexual harassment are going to have to come and disclose to conference um, so that their accuser doesn't get the whip, so that their abuser, sorry, doesn't get the whip back. And mm. it is a very scary mm. precedent to set for a lot of things. Yeah. And we've yeah. seen how easy that is in Parliament as well, because the Rob, I know it's yeah. a story, but the Rob Roberts thing. <laughs> exactly. Who, he got suspended. Politics is a scary place for women. Yeah, of course. And it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And we hear this time and time again, and nothing's done about it. I mean, Rob Roberts got suspended for a matter of weeks. I think it was like six weeks. And then he got to hire his own parliamentary assistant again without any oversight from Parliament mm. or other MPs' offices, even though his previous assistant left because of sexual harassment. And it, it's unbelievable. But with the momentum thing, just coming back to that, I think it puts them at odds. Voting against the whole thing, as Abby said, is ridiculous because it puts them at odds with its own statement about being committed to tackling anti-Semitism. Mm. If, you, if you're voting yeah. the whole thing down, Abby's right, you should vote the whole thing through and then work on it later because protecting Jewish members or whoever you're trying to protect the well-being of people is so much more important than giving the whip back to Jeremy Corbyn. When it when it comes to yeah, quality issues like this, obviously, yeah, uh, I agree. So a little bit more controversial than the rule changes to reselecting MPs and thresholds for choosing choosing the leader. It's been deemed as a success, hasn't it, for uh, on on the part of Keir and the new leadership team that they're able to get these rules through. I suppose they are. It is from from their perspective. However, it didn't go as far, these rule changes, as Keir wanted to go when, when he initially, well, in the, in the immediate run-up to, to conference, initially the, the rule changes that he wanted were around uh, reverting back to the old electoral college system, weren't they? So, you know, this is a little bit, a little bit watered down, but still really, really significant, actually, aren't they? Really significant for, for the, how the Labour Party selects its leader and for, for MPs facing potential trigger ballots and things for their reselections going forward. Open Labour put out a statement um, in the run up, you know, when we were hearing all these rumours of rule changes saying that we were against the return to the Electoral College. And I think it's fair to say we don't really like the increased threshold either. Like, our whole thing as an organisation is member democracy. It is about empowering grassroots members and trying to not necessarily rid politics, but cut down the amount of these like backroom deals in politics that leaves ordinary people, ordinary members cut off from the political processes. And in my view, maybe this isn't the view of everyone on the committee, but in my view, that's what this, this leadership threshold rule does the exact opposite of what we as Open Labour want to do. It's taking the power out of members' hands and putting it into the PLP. And I understand the need for the PLP, for any leader of the party, to have the confidence of their parliamentary party. I get that, but I'm not sure this is the way to do it. Um, and I think that, you know, the PLP should get behind the members' wishes anyway, but that's, that's my view, I guess. 
Uh, well, I agree. I mean, my, my perspective has always been we support the leader of the Labour Party. I can't abide, actually, people that are so focused. They're Labour Party members, but they're actually more focused on undermining, undermining the leader of the Labour Party. It's been going on for years. It obviously happened so much under Jeremy Corbyn, and it, but it's happening just as much now under Keir Starmer as well, that we're all members of these WhatsApp groups, you know, CLP groups, branch groups, and et cetera. And, and literally every notification is somebody moaning about, about, um, about Keir Starmer at the moment. So to go back to your point, I, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with these rule changes. I understand, yes, why why MPs feel that it should the threshold should have increased to 20%. But they, if they're Labour Party MPs, then they should be getting behind the leader anyway, um, regardless of, of who it is, because they're Labour Party MPs. Tom, I think you're going to have a slightly different view on this, aren't you? <laughs> that, is, that is just assuming no i just think i agree <laughs> to an extent but i think we can't be fighting we need to signal to the country that we're not going to fight leadership elections every five minutes and i think the vast majority of the plp in in every leadership have a problem with the leader you know it happened under blair it happened eventually under brown brown was probably the one that suffered least from it actually and you know we had mm. the 70 the 17 mps that signed a letter against blair but uh, it was significant because there were much more than that that daren't put their name to a letter because it was Blair and he'd won so many elections. Brown suffered, you know, to an extent that he went before it could kick up a stink. Obviously, Jeremy Corbyn got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of um, of criticism from the PLP and got no confidence vote and things like that. I think, yeah, maybe it wasn't the right way to go about it, but at the same time, I think it sent an important signal to the country that we're not uh, just going to talk about ourselves um, for the next however many years until another general election um but But then surely in debating rule changes instead of policy we've said yeah we're gonna keep talking about fighting ourselves yeah yeah i know you mean but i think now was the time to do it if they were going to do this before the next election this conference in which we have to do rule changes at a conference as you know it has to be now because in the next two elections that two conference seasons, sorry, will be, will, will be announcing these policies that will be leading up to a general election campaign. So if the, it was kind of now or never. I hate your point. Um, but I know what you mean. I, I think, agree. The, the, the I reason think... for it, I get, I get the reasons for it, but it's about you've got to take when does morality or and, and when does it the sort of point of principle come into all of this? And as Abby said, it's about democracy and, and allowing members to have a say in the in, in the running of the Labour Party that's, that's under threat. I mean, the, the reason that this was passed, let's face it, there's only one reason that these, that Keir Starmer came with these proposals, and that is to kill off, kill off the left or the hard left, if you like. That's the only reason. There's no other reason for it. It's as simple as that. I don't think so. I think, I think the important thing was to stop MPs fighting their own battles in their own constituencies. Um, you know, no, I'm on about with the, with the leadership threshold. It was to prevent somebody like Jeremy Corbyn ever getting onto the ballot for the leadership uh, for a, a leadership election. That's why it's sure. at 20%. I'm not sure. I mean, 20%, you know, originally it was going to be 25% that got watered down. But do we think somebody from the left or the perceived left of the party could get 20% of MPs to put them on the ballot? I think so. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, You're an this, optimist. This, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I, I mean, at the moment, there's so few MPs, and you know, maybe, but I, I, I think it's killed off any chance of somebody significantly to the left ever becoming Labour Party leader again. And, and uh, you yeah. know, call me a cynic, but I think that's what it was all about. The trigger ballot stuff's more interesting. I mean, it's annoying as a councillor 
that I have to go to a reselection every um, every time I'm up for election, and it's just a simple simple majority needed to deselect you. I mean, it's very easy to deselect a councillor. I but mean, MPs two have, have just s- been deselected in Manchester last night. Oh dear. Did they? Were they? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, these things are often, you often get really hardworking councillors that have been doing a fantastic job, but, you know, the, the politics might be somewhat different from, from some, of the, some of the members or, I don't know, or there might be a bit of an animosity there and, and, and some history, they've annoyed somebody, you know, all these sort of things, and then suddenly they're, they're ousted. And councillors could be um, leader of the, the council, they could be a, a cabinet member and, and doing a, a good job and have a, a, a big influence in the, in the running of a city or of their district council and then suddenly like that they're out whereas MPs now the threshold is so so let's be clear about the rule changes it's about the threshold for the trigger ballot it was a third of either branches affiliated groups or unions wasn't it if they reached a, th- mm. a third of and either of those three groupings voted for a trigger ballot, then they would be a trigger ballot. Of course, then it's a simple majority. Now it has to be a third of all three of those groups put together, doesn't it? Which makes it very, very difficult to deselect an MP, basically. Mm. I mean, again, I don't think it makes it that difficult, but it makes it more difficult. But at the same time, a lot of the MPs, it's, maybe it should be the same for councillors, you know. It's, um, it's difficult because a lot of MPs that did get threatened with uh, trigger ballots and deselection had to fight battles in their own CLPs before they went to the, the country and the, their electorate in their constituency. And a lot of them lost their I seats. Mean, I'm not saying that's yeah. why. But what message does that send out? Just before you're about to fight an election, I'm going to scrap my own party. And it just it just makes things. And these MPs are very hardworking MPs and they're just basically at ransom to their own... CLP's whims and the and CLP's are very small groups of people in some cases and the, and they can change the whole complexion of who represents the electorate and the cut to the country and I, I just think yeah I think it should be more difficult for hard-working MPs to be deselected so easily and if they are that bad they, they will get this this new third of, of affiliates as well and and they will deselect them all I'll send them to a trigger ballot and they'll win the trigger ballot but it said a lot for me when a lot of MPs no one really got deselected and that's because this small group got their third and then lost the trigger ballot. So that, that just says a lot that the trigger ballot's not worth doing, is it? If, if you're just going to lose anyway and they still command the majority, the simple majority of their CLPs. I take your point. I think personally, I'm in two minds about this. So on the one hand, like, of course, I think it's important that we choose who represents us. And like James said, we do it at a council level. And especially when like a lot of the arguments in the lead up to the leadership threshold rule change that I saw for giving more powers to the PLP was, oh, the PLP represent members, you know, they're Labour MPs, they represent members. Well, in some cases, they don't. So how can you make that argument and then make it harder for people to, you know, pick their own MP? So I really get that argument. On the other hand, um, I I know this is so open Labour of me being both sides. On the other hand, um, I live in Manchester, which is very close to Lee. And I, we had Jo Plattenley, who was absolutely brilliant. She spent a lot of time fighting a trigger ballot when she should have been fighting for her marginal seat mm. in the lead up to 2019. Mm. And unfortunately, we did lose in Lee. Jo Platt lost her seat. You can't say for definite, had she spent that time fighting on the doorstep instead of a trigger ballot, she would have won. But it wouldn't have done any harm, I'm sure. 
Yeah. It, so it's... I get it from both sides. Mm, that's <laughs> me very, too. Me too. Very on the. Well, well I, that's why we're, I think I think that's why we're all at open labour because my my I don't have a position on these. I was sort of playing devil's advocate and 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 citing the example of councillors. Now it is different, difficult. Uh, sorry, different from MPs. I mean, MPs get loads more privileges. I mean, obviously they get paid a lot more than councillors, which is fair enough <laughs> to to a certain extent. But this um, is where we get the you know, friends of councillors. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you, but did you know? But did you know that if a councillor gets a councillor can go to prison for anything up to three months, anything after three months, then um, then they automatically lose their seat. MPs, it's a year, I think, or nine months or something like that. So they can go to prison. They yeah. can be in prison for a year. But it, and as long as it's under a year, then they, um, they, they keep the seat, whereas it's three months for a council. It doesn't make any sense. Surely the threshold or the sort of standard that we hold MPs to should be higher than councillors yeah, to a certain extent. Councils. So there's loads of things like that. This is the same as well. The council's first recall? No. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If, I if, hope an MP, <laughs> if an MP is arrested or charged with anything, they can mm. then face... The recall so maybe that's the uh yeah that's the worst part yeah. but then i guess councillors are always a year or two from um i don't know how long terms are in where you're the from. four years councillors four years all oh, right councillors are maximum four years away from being deselected anyway oh that is quite a long time actually <laughs> yeah you can have a rubbish count and don't get me wrong there's the there's plenty of rubbish councillors out there um and the and to be honest they're the ones that tend not to get deselected they, they keep on going for years and years and years and the part of the fixtures and fittings of councils i've seen it in all all different local authorities i'm just moaning as a councillor there but actually the proposals i i totally get what you're both saying and and, and again that's why i'm probably openly but i do see this from both sides i can see the virtue of the new rule changes abby the open labor rally um, <laughs> At party conference, how was it? What was the future? Was it well attended? Tell us about it. Okay, so the Open Labour Rally. Uh, we immediately followed uh, Labour for a New Democracy, who did a great pro-PR rally. Ran over a bit, which meant then ours ran over a bit, but does anyone really expect any left-wing events to run on time? At this point, I would say no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really great rally, in my opinion. We had some absolutely excellent speakers. The, whole, the church hall was basically full especially at the start obviously with it running over a bit some people did leave before the end that's to be expected there's so many good events at conference everyone wants to go to them all we had David Lammy who was absolutely brilliant um so many other really brilliant speakers Alex I know we're all fans of Alex he did actually in my opinion kind of steal the show a bit because he made some really excellent points on trans rights that I don't think any other MP has been making about how we need to go beyond just saying trans rights are human rights and we need to move past that Mm. and actually make life easy for trans people which was great to hear Um, and obviously that's a stance we completely take in open labour it was mm. I think it was a good rally Jermaine Jackman was brilliant as well there was a lot of honesty about the party's failings and talking about where we can go next and I think that's important and I think when there's been a lot of discussion about how you know online about what's open labour's niche where do open labour stand I think it's good and it's important that we've said look these are what we see as the problem this is how we're going to push forward and I think it's very heartening how many people how many of our speakers Jermaine Alex, David Lammy um, noted that the biggest issues in our party are equality issues. It's very heartening. You know, I always think that I'm in open labour because 
it's one of the only factions that's completely unequivocal when it comes to minority communities and that really reinforced that so I was very pleased Good. and we got loads of new members from it which was brilliant we actually had a problem with our website which was quite unfortunate but we have paid for membership forms Alex is prepared um yeah so loads of renewed interest in the organization we got loads of new members loads of renewed interest actually a lot of people have approached me about starting regional groups where they're from which is absolutely brilliant I know you guys are West Yorkshire you've just had your AGM um Mm. but a lot of interest in starting groups in the south and stuff as well so that's good it's overall I think it's very positive for the organization um yeah I'm very proud good yeah I saw Alex's speech I suppose and yeah I was so impressed with with what he was saying about trans rights it was yeah he did us proud really on that issue so um good for him I didn't really see the rest I wish I'd seen Jermaine we've had Jermaine on on here and we've supported his candidacy for the NEC way back when and he's a lovely guy and really good and a talent as well He's, he's definitely talented and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see a lot more of him in the future. I'm sure he'll get a seat somewhere. I mean, let's face it, there's plenty of seats to fight for. There's only, what, 200 of us, isn't there? So there's plenty of yeah, seats Yeah, one day there. when Jermaine's an MP, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag like, oh, yeah, I ran, I ran his campaign for the, the NEC back in 2020. Don't tell anybody lost. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, okay. I got two out of four. I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> That's fine. You did very well, Abby. Thank you. <laughs> it's been brilliant to have you on. I mean, for, we've got to go because we've all got busy schedules, but it, it's been really great. You, you're going to have to come on more often, Abby. It's really oh, thank enjoyed you. It's been really brilliant with you. to talk to you. I've loved coming on. I think we're a bit rusty, though, Tom, aren't we? We're normally a little bit slicker than this. I think Speak it's because it's been a month or two, hasn't Speak it? for yourself. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm on it.